so here's what we want to do. Let's stand together. And for those of you that are new to Glad Tidings Church today, or you've been visiting over the last couple of weeks, uh, we are uh, doing a series. We started a series in the uh, beginning of the year called How To. And today we're going to talk about how to stop worrying and start living. How to stop worrying and start living. And we're going to look at Jesus' words uh, from uh, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verses 25 to 34. I'm reading the blue, and you're reading the black, and this is what it says. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious or worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, not about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valued than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious or worried, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Beautiful. Why don't you be seated? So here's a question. Why do we worry? Why do we worry? Now, that may sound like a silly question, but I think there are a bunch of reasons, and more than I'm going to tell you, but we worry because we can imagine a future that we cannot control. We imagine, we can envision a future that, they, that we may not control. It was relieving to know on the news headline yesterday and this morning that imminent war between the United States and uh, North Korea is way overrated, just in case you were wondering. We worry because we're afraid that we might lose somebody we love or something we love. And then, of course, we worry because we're human. That's why. Somebody else, somebody rather, called um, worry or anxiety fear in search of a cause. Fear in search of a cause. And this is what I've discovered is that I don't need a definition because I am the definition. I worry, I get anxious, and probably, I don't know, maybe more than most, or probably the same as most, but let me ask you this question this morning, and and be honest, how many of you in this room, and watching online, how many of you worry? Okay, put your hands down. Let me ask you this question again. Remember, we're in a church. How many of you worry? Okay, put your hands down. We're Christians. We tell the truth. How many of you worry? Me 
too. <laughs> Me too. Uh, by the way, does anybody know anybody that does not worry? <laughs> Leave it alone. Now, when we come to our text, two things are a reality. Either Jesus' disciples were great pretenders, or they were not great pretenders, and Jesus sort of, if you will, sees right through it. And he's, they're the ones that Jesus speaks these words to first. And he says, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Do not worry about your life. So there's three things that I want to focus on this morning is, first of all, confronting worry. And then we want to talk about characterizing worry. And then lastly, we want to talk about countering worry. So, so if we are going to talk about confronting worry, if we're going to confront worry, then we need to figure out what the source of worry is. So there's probably three things we could focus on. First of all, is worry a matter of nature? Am I biologically predisposed to being a warrior? Maybe, maybe not. Or is worry a matter of nature that it is a behavior that we have acquired, I have acquired, and it is the way we are, and we sort of learned it from our parents and people before us, and other people are going to learn it from us. Maybe it's nurture. Or maybe it's a matter of sin. Now, I think that's a bit harsh, but we should say, in all fairness, that worry can indeed develop into a form of sin. But that's not what we're focusing on this morning. So Barbara, Taylor, Barbara Brown Taylor said this, Depending on where you live and whom you count on for spiritual guidance, you have gotten the idea that faith and worry are incompatible. If you have the one, then you don't have the other. And she writes, I see it on church signs all the time. Worry ends when faith begins, or worry is the devil's data plan. Don't buy it. Maybe that message helps you, or maybe it just proves that you don't have faith. Worst case, she writes, it can lead you to hide your worry in the presence, in the presence of, uh, of the faithful, a couple of words missing there, pretending that you are just as tranquil as they are or they all seem to be. In this way, too many of us become strangers in our own hearts. No, faith and worry are not incompatible. Jesus' instructions are these. Do not be anxious. Do not worry. Now, I don't know about you, but does it help you when somebody says, you shouldn't worry, or you shouldn't feel bad? or what? I don't know if it helps or not, but Jesus actually tells us three times in this text and uses the word anxious or worry six times in the text that we just read. Now, Jesus begins with the word, therefore. Now, us preachers, we were always trained in the Scriptures that when you come to the word therefore, you always need to find out why it is therefore. Now, in this text, it is therefore because it connects the, the section before with this section. And if you'll remember a couple of weeks ago that we talked about money and mammon or money and God, 
And that's the text before, that's the, the section before, and this one is about worry. And what Jesus says to us in just Matthew's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 24, just before our text today, he says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And I've discovered that worry in my life is a lot like money. There's three things. First of all, worry can divide our hearts and our loyalties can become conflicted. Secondly, it can consume our thoughts and it can create spiritual, emotional, relational, and mental stress unduly. And the third thing, probably most important, is that it can draw us away from our loving, generous Heavenly Father and cause us to take the matters of life into our own hands. Now, for these reasons, and probably for others, Jesus says to us that we should not worry, that we should not be anxious about stuff, the stuff of life. But let's talk for a moment about characterizing worry. Now, Jesus challenges us in what I think is four ways. First of all is that worry reveals wrong priorities. Worry may reveal that physical concerns in our lives are more important and take precedent over spiritual concerns in our lives. And Jesus asks this question in verse 25, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, Just so you know, Jesus is not saying here that the physical issues of our lives are not important. He's not saying that at all, because they are important. We live in a real world with real issues, and we are real people. But what Jesus is saying here is not that they're not important, is that they may not be the most important issues. The second thing Jesus teaches us is that worry lacks a perspective. So he says in verse 26, he tells us, look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. And then he asks this question to us. Are you not more valuable than they? So again, this does not mean, this does not mean, and Jesus is not implying that birds do not work at finding their food. It's just that they don't stress about it like I do. They look for it, and they find it because God makes sure that they find it. And the same is true for you and I. The availability of food and clothing and provision and sustenance and security and shelter and all those things that we have and enjoy, and that it should be the right of every person in the world, is God's provision. How much more valuable are you than a little sparrow, than a bird? How much more valuable are you? And, And he says, if God is going to take care of the birds then certainly he's going to take care of you and me. See, worry affects our perspective. Worry makes us myopic. Where we zone in on something and we become so obsessed with it that it consumes us. 
The third thing that Jesus says is that worry is actually impractical. And he says in verse 27, Which of you, by being anxious or worrying, can add a single hour to the span of your life? Worry, Jesus says, just doesn't work. It doesn't change anything. I mean, truly, folks, if I worry, do you think it's going to make me look younger? Be careful now. I'm very fragile. If I worry, is it going to make me live any longer? Is it going to, is it going to make me thinner? So why do we worry? Why do you worry? Why do I worry? Life tells us and teaches us, and we all know this, this is not new, that worry is useless. I have a friend of mine, and he has this line. He loves to say this. He says, don't tell me worry doesn't work. 95% of all the things I worry but never happen. I have a friend of mine. Worry, further that, worry does not attract us to the notice of God. Like, do you really think, do I think that, you know, oh, I'm really stressed out, I'm really worried, and that somehow amps up God's interest in me? Of course not. You can't amp up God's interest in me, or in you, or in us. God is just interested in us. It's like saying that God is more loving or less. No, God is just loving he is the quintessential definition of what it means to love. And the truth is, there's nothing that you and I can do to make God less interested in us or more interested in us. Now, I know that some of you want to wrestle with that theologically, and I would encourage you to do so. And the last thing is this. The last thing that Jesus sort of tells us as we're characterizing worry is this. That worry demonstrates limited faith in God's power. And Jesus says in verse 28, And why are you anxious and why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you that even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. So here's the lesson of the lilies. Not just lilies, any flower, any plant, is this, that they witness to us about God's power, and God's faithfulness. They teach us about growth and the change of life and the seasons of life. You see, worry, as we said at the very beginning, doubts a loving and generous Heavenly Father. His ability and His nature to care for us and to provide for us. There are three reasons, I'm giving you reasons here why people worry. The first one is fear. Fear. People who worry typically are afraid that something terrible is going to happen. And so we worry. Or pride. Pride in being self-sufficient. Pride of our achievements. Pride of our material gain. Pride in our acquisitions. And then, of course, disbelief. Worry doubts. It questions that God loves me, 
When we worry, it questions whether God loves you. It questions, worry questions God's ability and provision of whether or not his provision is sustainable. And then worry doubts, it questions that God really understands my situation. Worry is basically a sign of lack of trust. Jesus says in verse 30, he says, If God so clothes the grass of the field which is here today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? And so there is a fundamental disbelief that a better life can come out of things being in our own control rather than letting them be in God's control. We have this fundamental belief, we don't say it, but we live out of that value system that somehow if we take things in our control, the future will be better for us than if we just trust God with them. And that somehow we do not believe that God has our best interests at heart. So let me talk to you a little bit about countering worry. Now, this may surprise you, but there was a time in my life when I took fire training. Uh Uh-huh. I took fire training. There's a whole story connected, but I'll save that story. But here's a couple of things I learned about in fire training. I learned a whole bunch of stuff, by the way, but these are just two. What I learned is this, first of all, and this may seem, seem basic, but it makes a point, is that I discovered and learned that where there is smoke, there it is, there's fire. And worry is like smoke. It's a sign that something more is going on underneath the surface. Worry is a symptom of something greater. When a horticulturist horticulturalist, looks at the health of a tree. He or she does not determine the health of a tree by its branches. A horticulturist, he or she will look at the root of a tree. And where there's smoke, there's usually fire. And where there's worry, it's a sign that something greater is going on underneath the surface. Now the second thing that I learned in fire training is this. That when you're using a fire extinguisher to put out flame, you always focus the fire extinguisher at the base of the fire, not at the flame. Get at the source. And at the base of anxiety and worry is nature, nurture, pride, fear, and unbelief. Now, here's some things that I have learned. You may not know this, and this is a confession, and I don't want anybody coming up to me or emailing me this week saying, you know, you shouldn't worry. I just do. I have discovered in the last six months that I'm a worrier. Matter of fact, I get this from my grandmother. My grandmother was such a worrier on my dad's side that she worried when she didn't have anything to worry about. 
I'm sure uh, my grandmother and my mom and my dad's side, bless her heart, uh, was a wonderful woman. By the way, her whole life, she never had indoor plumbing. We talked about this last night when we were visiting with some people. Her whole life. And my grandmother was one of those people that she was happiest when she was miserable. You're laughing because you know some people like that, right? Well, that's my, make no wonder, I, but I am a worrier. I'm sorry, I confess it to you. I, I tell you, I have been seen, I have been pastoring for, what, what would you say, 30, Kevin's gone. 32 years, 32 years. Folks, let me tell you something, I still do not sleep on Saturday nights. I still don't sleep. I toss and turn. Last night, I'm going to, never mind, never mind. No, it's, I'm going to say something I'm going to be sorry for. Okay, so here's some things that I have learned in my life of how to cope with worry, because I'm a worrier. I'm a worrier. And this sermon matters to me a lot. So the first thing that I do is that when I'm worrying, I pause and I identify. I hit the pause button, and sometimes, sometimes, honest to goodness, honest to goodness, I literally pause and I stand still. And I think... And I ask myself some questions. And some of the questions that I ask myself is this, Todd, why are you so anxious? Or why are you worrying about whatever that is? And then I ask this question, is this just an amped up version of Toddism? Is this just my nature? And then I ask myself these questions. Are you, what are you afraid of? What are you fearing? And then I think, is your pride an issue here? And then I ask, is there someone or something or some situation I need to give over to God? And, and I'll tell you the truth, there are times in all of our lives where we worry and we fuss and we fume and we have anxiousness. And what we need to do is we need to take that thing, that person, that situation, whatever it is, and we need to say in prayer, God, this is wrecking me, destroying me. I have to put this over onto you. There are times you have to do that. And that leads us then to prayer. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be contradictory, so I recognize it's contradictory, first of all. So the first thing is this. We need to pray about what it is we're anxious about. Now, most of us spend little time in prayer, and that's an evangelical reality, but that's not a good thing. And the truth is that one of the things that I do is that I actually pray about my anxiety, about my worry. And if it's a something, a someone, a situation, I just say, God, I am giving this over to you because I can't fix it. And I'm going to tell you a story at the end of what I do in that moment. I just give it over to God. Now, the other thing I'm going to tell you is this. This is going to be totally contradictory. On the other hand, some things, one of the things that is very problematic is praying about a situation. Because here's what happens when I pray or you pray about a given situation. And you can take any situation you want. But if it causes us worry, it causes anxiety, or it amps us up emotionally, and it sort of 
affecting our lives in a negative way, one of the worst things you can do is say pray about it because all you're doing then is lasering on it. You're focusing on it, focusing on it. So this is what I do. And let me give you an example of what I do for other people. So sometimes people come into my office and they've got this big issue. And it's a big issue. And this is what I say to them. I say to them, now for the next seven days or the next two weeks or the next month, I want you to forget about it. I do not want you to pray about it. And what's going to happen is, over the next seven days, two weeks, or a month, I am going to pray about it for you for that time. And then after that time, we're going to get back together and we're going to talk about it. It is amazing what happens. And so one of the things that I would say to us is this, that sometimes focusing on an issue, a problem, person can be highly problematic in your life. And I'm going to get to this in a moment. That's why you need somebody who loves you. So that you can share that whatever it is with that person. And I'll come back to that in just a moment. The second thing that I do is I read scripture that focus on God's character and God's faithfulness. Now I'm going to tell you about how real this is for me. I journal every day of my life, or I try and journal every day of my life. And I have three scriptures that I have written out and I have put in my journal in the back. When I go to a new journal, I'll cut these out and I'll put them in my new journal. Here's the three scriptures. And listen to the, now, and listen, what we're focusing on here is the faithfulness of God. Psalm 138 verse 8 says, is that the first one? There it is, there we go. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. The Lord will fulfill his purpose for me. Your steadfast love endures forever. Do not forsake the work of your hands. First text. The next text is the one from Psalm 91. Most of you will recognize it. Verse 11. That he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. And the last text is from Psalm 32, verses 7 to 10. I'm going to read the whole thing to you. Listen to what it says now. We're talking about focusing on, and there are moments in my life where I worry and have anxiety, where I have to go back to these verses. Matter of fact, I've gone back to these verses just this week. And not because I wanted to preach about them, but because I needed them. Listen to Psalm 32. You are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. And then God says, I will instruct you and teach you in the way that you should go. And listen to this. I will counsel you, God says, with my eye upon you. But then listen to the exhortation. Todd, don't be like a horse or a mule without understanding which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Now, look at scriptures that talk about God's character, His faithfulness. The third thing, or fourth thing, I've already mentioned. Talk to somebody who loves you. 
Now, when I say talk to somebody who loves you, I mean somebody who loves you. Somebody who's tender. Somebody who has the wisdom to understand that you're going through a difficult time and the last thing you need to be is fixed or preached at. Someone who loves you, matter of fact, somebody who even knows your idiosyncrasies and still loves you regardless. And for me, that's Ruth. By the way, I was thinking this morning, the word idiosyncrasy, and I have a lot. You know the last part of idiosyncrasy is the word crazy spilt with an S. Somebody who loves you even in spite of your own craziness. That's Ruth for me. Now, if you talk to Ruth, there's two questions that she's going to ask you. If you come to her about your worries and problems and difficulties and you're stressed out and you're over the top and you're amped up to some level of toddness, she's going to ask you two questions. The first one is this. Have you eaten? I'll get to that in a minute. And the second one she's going to ask is this. How tired are you? Because that leads us to my next point is HALT P. Now HALT P, HALT, comes from, the, from Alcohol Anonymous. And I have borrowed and I'd added on the P. And here's what I've discovered. When you're anxious and when you're amped up and when you're worrying and it's over the top and you don't know what to do, ask yourself these five questions. Am I hungry? Do I feel alone in the world? Sorry, am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Do I feel alone in the world? And am I tired? And the P is this, am I in pain? Now what I mean by pain is this. I mean any form of pain, emotional pain, mental pain, relational pain, or spiritual pain, or physical pain. And here's why I say that. You ever been nauseous? Ever try and read a book while you're nauseous? Ever try and carry on a conversation while you're nauseous? Ever try and focus on something when you're nauseous? Here's the point. When we feel pain at any of those levels, it affects our whole being because we are whole people. Now, the other thing that I do is I find out the truth. Most people who worry and are over-anxious make assumptions. They guess. Find out the truth. Now, let me tell you a little story. Pastor Kevin isn't here, but I'm going to tell you a little story. So on Wednesday, Pastor Kevin and I, we drove to Manitoulin Island so that we could see Mrs. Nelder before she went to be with Jesus. We got there, and I was driving my car, and I got a fairly new car. It's a, it's a 2016 Elantra, Hyundai Elantra. And uh, you know, uh, how many of you, a bunch of you, I don't need to ask this question, that you've been to Manitoulin, and between Manitoulin Island, the bridge, you know, uh, uh, current, 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 little current, and Espanola, there's a whole bunch of hills, really cool hills. So we were following this dump truck that had one of those attachments on the back, and this thing was taken forever. So he'd go down one hill, and you can't pass because there's all these turns. And so we're going along, and um, so I'm in fifth gear. i got a standard, and I'm in fifth gear. And finally, a chance comes for us to pass. And I put the pedal on the mat. 
And I look out the back window, and there is white and blue smoke everywhere. Ah, right? Thank you for the sound effects. Excellent. And I'm thinking to myself, "Uh uh-oh. Did I just blow the engine in this car? And so, Kevin, you, you didn't even see this, did you? Big puff of blue, Mike's right huge thing. And so we get past this truck, and I keep looking in the rear. I don't say anything to Pastor Kevin. I'm looking, I'm thinking, and, and you know, and I'm starting now, now I'm starting to worry. Are we going to get back for the meeting? Are we going to, are we going to get stuck here, and I'm going to have to call somebody, and blah, 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 all the stuff that you worry about. So anyway, um, worked out that we uh, got the Espanola, went and got some coffee, calmed my nerves, and uh, got back town, and no problem, the car worked fine. So I t- was telling Ruth this at dinner, and she said, well, you need to call Ahenda, because this is the second time this has happened. And so I call Ahenda the next day, and the service technician says to me, oh, he says, yeah, he said, that happens sometimes. <laughs> really? Good to know. He says, yeah, what happens is, there is a thing called, now I've got to think about what it is. It's the fuel throttle boot. Gets too much gas in it, and the car automatically at certain times just blows out the excess gas, and that's what you end up with. Well, I want you to know, he told me that, and I just totally relaxed. Because you see, I was making, like, I was even driving this thing and thinking, yeah, there's something wrong. But there's nothing wrong. And the point is, the point is simply this. Find out the truth. Don't assume and don't guess. Don't jump to conclusions. Don't build bridges. You never have the cross. If you've got a health issue, don't fuss and fume. Go see a physician. He or she might help you profoundly. Dwell on what you know, not on what you don't. The other thing is focus on the truth. Focus on the truth. Just this week, I was um, reminded of a story. I'm going to read it to you. This is a story about Stacy Padrick. Listen to this. Stacy Padrick was unexpectedly diagnosed with an illness. A wave of worries flooded my mind, he writes. What about all the plans I had? How could I ever support myself with these health limitations? What about my dreams for the future? He writes, my anxiety revealed my belief that this illness had somehow slipped by God's watchful eye. But the Father's still small voice addressed my fears, reminding me of this and his perspective. Quote, yes, this illness does not change, sorry, this illness does change your plans, but not mine. In no way, it in no way changes my will for you. And Patrick says, though my health had changed, God's sovereignty over my life had not. So now, we can put in there health issues, family issues, 
And the list goes on and on and on. But what Stacy Padrick wants us to know and what God wants us to know is that whatever you put in the blank, yes, it's going to change our plans probably, but it does not change God's. And it is in no way changes his will for your life or the life of the person that may be affected with it as well. The, la- the second last thing I'll tell you is that you need to restore some humor in your life. And Ruth and I, we, you know, the Bible says in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. Folks, sometimes I just have to look in the mirror, sometimes literally, and just laugh at myself and say, oh, Todd, you are such a wreck. And I just laugh at the level of Toddness that I'm acquiring. You just need to laugh at yourself. Sometimes you just need to laugh and restore some humor. And then the final thing that I want to tell you is this, and then I'm going to let you go because we got to go. Accept the invitation. And the invitation is simply this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will, have anxiety, anxious, will be anxious for itself, sufficient for the day of its own trouble. But seek ye first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. I want to tell you a story about October 23rd, I think that's the right date, October 29th, 2013. On October 29, 2013, I was driving in my Honda Accord to Sudbury to start work that morning. It was about, I don't know, 6 o'clock in the morning. And uh, <clears throat> so I was at my car loaded for bear and all the stuff that I needed. Ruth was staying behind because we had some issues, family issues and personal issues that we needed to resolve and all that kind of jazz. So I was driving up... Uh, the 400 and then 69. I don't exactly know where I was. I think I was between Barrie and close to Perry Sound. And I never listened to the radio. I never listened to Christian radio. It's no, no big deal. It's just I don't. It's just not the way I'm wired. Um, <clears throat> but this morning, I was kind of going along. And I was kind of bored. And so I flipped on the radio. And there was a Christian station. I don't even know which Christian station it was. But there was a preacher. And all I heard him say was these words. He said, Jesus will be everything that you need him to be. Jesus will be everything that you need him to be. That's it. I turned off the radio. And you know, have you ever had one of those moments where you've heard something and you knew that it knew that it was God? And I knew on that day, on the 29th of October, driving up here to Sudbury for my first day at work here at Glad Tidings Church, that God had spoken to me through whoever that person was. And that's the only line I got. I turned it on, the line came on, it seems like that to me, and then I turned it off and that was it. Jesus will be everything that you need him to be. And i got to tell you, folks, we've been here now for three years and a few months, and I can't tell you how many times I've gone to God and said, you said to me on the very first day, that Jesus would be everything that I need him to be. And on this day, whichever day it is, and I've done it many times, I need Jesus to be this. I need Jesus to be this. Seek first his kingdom, and all the rest will come. That's part of the equation. Jesus will be everything that you need him to be is God's promise to me, 
as I pastor this church. Let's pray. Father, You're here. You engage us in our humanity. You engage us in our brokenness. You engage us in our sin and our disobedience. And You lavish us with generosity, with grace, and with mercy. May Your name be praised. May we engage Your extravagant love. And we ask this in Christ's name and for His name's sake. And everyone said, God bless you, church.